Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much, Mark and the team. It's always such a blessing as a musician to be in the congregation and to be blessed by such amazing and wonderful music. Going to be spending our devotional time, our meditation this evening in Psalm 130. Let's read together. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its sins. Well, on the 25th of May, 2013, the Nigerian tugboat by the name of Jaskin 4 capsized and it sank in very, very heavy seas while it was trying to stabilize an oil tanker just off the coast of Nigeria. It was thought that the full complement of 12 sailors had died. And three South African divers were dispatched to investigate the wreck and to recover the bodies. 60 hours later, those South African divers were astounded to discover that one of the crew members had survived. His name was Harrison Okene. The tugboat had sunk and come to rest on the ocean floor 100 feet down. Okene managed to find his way in the dark in the tossing tugboat through to the engineer's office where there was enough air trapped to keep him alive. Whilst there, he fabricated a platform from a mattress and other materials, and that kept his upper body above the freezing water. In the depths of the ocean, as the temperature dropped to freezing, he was dressed only in boxer shorts, he recited the last scripture passage that his wife had texted him. O oh God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains me. And since his rescue, he has said, the Lord delivered him from the depths. Similarly, in Psalm 130, we read about how believers can find themselves in the depths of despair, and how we need to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. As is my custom, here's a summary of the psalm. If you cry out to God from the depths of your despair, he will forgive your sins, and he is also faithful to give you strength to endure your trials. In this psalm, the psalmist weaves together two threads showing that God is faithful to forgive sins, and to strengthen us through suffering. 
And this combined strong rope of God's love will lift you from despair to hope. The writer of the psalm tells us what it is like to be in the depths of despair. Just like Harrison O'Kane trapped in that tugboat in the depths of the ocean, crying out to God for help and for salvation. It also tells us how the cry for help reaches our Heavenly Father and He reaches down, lifts us up to a place where we declare His mercy in the heights of His faithful love. This psalm is one of the psalms of ascents, and that is it was sung by the Hebrew pilgrims as they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple. And this is quite coincidental because, in a sense, it's also about ascending from the depths to the heights. This psalm was used by God to save Charles Wesley. Charles was actually an unconverted minister. And on one day in May of 1738, he entered St. Paul's Cathedral where the choir happened to be chanting this psalm. And especially the refrain, If you could mark our iniquities, Lord, who could stand? And Charles fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit knowing he could not stand before God. Psalm 130 was also the favorite psalm of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and St. Augustine. Martin Luther called it one of the Pauline Psalms. In other words, a penitential psalm. It declares there's forgiveness for our sins only through God's grace, not on the basis of any of our merits. It actually also had a profound effect on John Owen. And as we know, he wrote a lot. His original work ran to 323 pages on this psalm alone, three quarters of which he spent on verse 4. So Psalm 130 is a profound psalm. It's had an immense impact on the church through the centuries. We're going to meditate on it this evening under four headings. Firstly, the cry from the depths. Secondly, despair caused by sin. Third, despair caused by circumstances. And fourth, the despairing find hope. The cry from the depths. Look at the first two verses with me. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. The psalmist's cry rises from the depths of despair, and this is where we begin. He is overwhelmed. He is desperate. You can hear the panic in his voice. And the opening verses remind us of the prophet Jonah when he cried out to God from the belly of of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. These first two verses describe that terrifying claustrophobia of being trapped in the depths of despair. But notice here who the psalmist cries out to. 
He cries out to Yahweh, to God, the Almighty God, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He wasn't crying out to other gods like the sailors on Jonah's ship were. The psalmist was crying out to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He knew exactly who he was crying out to, even although he was in the depths of despair. Listen carefully to this. You will cry out for help to the one that you know can actually help you. You will cry out for help to the one that you know can actually help you. Do you find yourselves or yourself in the depths of despair tonight? And I know some of you are there. Are the waters crashing over your head? Are you drowning in the despair that overwhelms you? Then let these words encourage you. You can cry out to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great almighty God. Matthew Henry says, but in the greatest depths, it is our privilege that we may cry unto God and be heard. It is our duty and interest to cry unto God, for that is the likeliest way both to prevent our sinking lower and to recover us out of the horrible pit and miry clay. If you find yourself in the depths this evening, begin by crying out in faith to God. He will hear you. But now we need to find out why is the psalmist in despair? What has brought him to the depths? Despair caused by sin. The main reason, after all, we know that this is a penitential psalm. The main reason for the psalmist's despair was his sin. After all, we can see that he is crying out, and later on we will see that he says we consider, if you considered sins like Charles Wesley said, who could stand? We're going to see a little bit later on that personal sin is not the only cause of finding yourself in despair. But this was the main cause for the psalmists. Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Looking at that verse, pause for a moment and consider. If Yahweh considered sins, who could stand? If we really had an accurate understanding of how absolutely vile our sins are before a holy God, we would be instantly overwhelmed by earth-shattering despair. If we could truly comprehend how God actually views our sins, we would be horrified. But we take sin so lightly, we gloss over our sins, we assume that a loving God would understand. We say, God will understand, after all, I'm only human. No, our sin is an abomination to God. How dare we take it so lightly? The fact that God does not strike us down the instant we sin is in and of itself an act of supreme grace. 
but we tend to walk around blithely ignoring those what we consider little sins. Apostle John says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Prophet Isaiah says, All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Don't assume God will take your sin lightly. He doesn't. He cannot because of his holy nature. However, praise God, he's not only a holy and righteous God, but he is also a God of forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Note that the forgiveness is not because of anything you or I do. It says, with you, there is forgiveness. It is from God alone, through Christ alone. Apostle John also says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Andrew explained this morning at communion, Jesus has signed that peace treaty in his blood so that we are reconciled to God. As a believer tonight, this is the challenging part. Are you harboring sin? Are you excusing a recurrent ungodly behavior? Are you harboring deep resentment toward a brother or a sister in Christ? Are you frequently letting anger control your life? Are you cheating on tests and forms and tax forms? Do you speak the truth to your brother but with venom and hatred in your voice? Do you use your tongue to bring other believers down? but actually think you're doing God's will. Whatever it is, bring that sin to Christ right now. Confess it to him right now. That is the most important thing. But go make amends. Seek reconciliation. Pay what you owe. Seek forgiveness if your tongue has hurt others. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. After this service tonight, Take out your phone and make that difficult phone call. Because Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And once we are forgiven, what is our response? Again, so often we tend to take that quite lightly as well. We tend to think that we're now best buddies with God. But have a look. With you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. The word revered is also translated feared. Forgiveness should lead us to reverencing the Lord and fearing him. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. 
Forgiveness should result in us having even more reverential awe and fear of God than before. God is worthy of our praise, and he is worthy to be feared. Move on to the next section in the psalm. Despair caused by circumstances. Read with me. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the night, for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Let me ask you this question. When we confess our sins to God, do we need to wait and wait and wait for forgiveness? No. The psalmist is talking about something different here. Immediately after saying we are forgiven by God, he says, we wait for Yahweh. The reason is because sometimes the depths of despair are not because of our own sin, but rather because of the circumstances around us and because of the sins of others. And when the circumstances of life overwhelm us, it can feel like we have to wait and wait and wait for God. Sometimes he feels silent. Our prayers seem to bounce off a brass ceiling. We must be aware of the fact that suffering in this life is all too real. In a meditation like this evening, it can be very easy to simply gloss over the suffering that believers often have to endure. But these verses force us to stop and camp in that valley of sorrow and despair. In difficult circumstances, we pray for the easier path. We pray for safety. We pray for healing. We pray for relief from suffering. But sometimes God decrees otherwise. Sometimes we have to endure that pain of cancer. We have to endure the pain of the loss of a loved one. We have to endure the pain of an unrepentant and rebellious child. Or we have to endure the after effects of a violent assault or the physical hardships of serious injuries. And life is difficult. And we live in a society that tries its best to vaccinate itself against suffering. Money and medicine and technology have created a much safer and more comfortable life than even 50 years ago. And I see this in my work. Some people expect miracles for frail and terminally ill loved ones who are suffering. But the reality is, even though medicine and technology and science have advanced to such an extent, there is still so much that we cannot do, and then we are faced with the reality of suffering. We also live in a society where grieving is supposed to be a private, quiet, brief affair. After the funeral, we are supposed to return to work a week later and act as if everything is fine. Especially in our Western and, dare I say it, white culture. But we need to grieve. We need to be allowed the space to grieve. We need to struggle through pain and the emotions of loss. 19th century theologian Robert Dabney 
in the space of one month, lost two sons, Jimmy and Bobby. He said, when my Jimmy died, the grief was painfully sharp, but the actings of faith, the embracing of consolation, and all the cheering truths which ministered comfort to me were just as vivid. That's the kind of thing we do like to hear. It's neat. The consolation rounds off the grief. But listen to what he said next. But when the stroke was repeated and thereby doubled, I seemed to be paralyzed and stunned. I know that my loss is doubled and I know also that the same cheering truths apply to the second as to the first. But I remain numb, downcast, almost without hope and interest. That makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Especially that last part. But this is reality. Sometimes, in fact, quite often, the time between despair and deliverance is delayed. Sometimes for a very, very prolonged time. And the really uncomfortable truth is that that in some situations, Deliverance from affliction only happens when we enter glory. That is why the psalmist has so much repetition in this psalm. The night watch is the worst time to be on sentry duty. Those of you who were in the army agreed. I wasn't, but my friends tell me it was. The long hours, the bitter cold, you're exhausted from the march and the training of the day before, your eyes are heavy. The cold gets deep into your bones. All you want to do is fall asleep. It feels like it is endless. During suffering, the believer needs to endure that suffering like the night watchman endures the long and cold hours of sentry duty. So I don't want to be glib and move on too quickly past this point of suffering, of camping in this valley. Because sometimes we can be a little bit too quick to move past it. And we can be too quick to give scriptural platitudes without actually experiencing the pain that someone is experiencing. However, having said that, the psalmist does offer us a glimmer of hope in these verses. What sustains us during those long hours whilst waiting for the Lord? Notice what verse 5 says. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. In order to endure, we need to have a proper theological understanding of suffering and of God himself. That topic is way too big for a meditation like this, but let's have a brief look at it. Dustin Schrammack said the following, good theology is essential if we are going to suffer well. It will help us persevere during our trials, and it will give us hope. You see, good theology informs us of God's character and helps us to understand that when we feel like God is silent. That perceived silence is purely phenomenological, which means we only think it is happening. It's not reality. 
good theology tells us that in reality, God is not silent, that he is always working in our lives. Good theology informs us that God has said that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Good theology informs us to cling on to that truth. He says further, yes, the night is long and the weeping intense, but the morning is coming. And as we wait for the coming dawn, the return of the Son of God, we can know that we are not alone. Jesus himself endured the long night of weeping, and God promises to carry us even when we don't feel his arms around us. And that does bring us neatly to our final point, where the despairing find hope. The despairing find hope. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption and abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its sins. We notice here that the despairing find hope in two things. Firstly, there is hope in God's faithful love. Put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord. The hope that sustains the believer through the despair, through the suffering, is the faithful love of Almighty God. This is the promise that the believer rests upon. During your deep despair, you cling to the faithful love that God the Father has for you. This is the God, the creator of the universe, the powerful God that destroyed 70,000 Israelites as a punishment for David's sin, who parted the Red Sea so that Moses and Israel could walk through it, and who destroyed Pharaoh and his army, who turned the Nile River into blood. That is the God who declares his faithful love for you and for me. Cling to that. Hold on to the strong rope of God's love because he's already holding on to you and lifting you up. There's not only, not only is there hope in God's faithful love, but there's also hope in God's forgiveness. The psalmist knows he has sinned against God. He knows his despair is because of that sin. And he also knows that redemption comes only from the Lord. Not just redemption, redemption in abundance. God's forgiveness overflows with grace and mercy towards us. This writer is very well aware of another passage in Psalm 119, 75 and 76. I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you have afflicted me fairly. May your faithful love comfort me as you promised your servant. Perhaps this evening you have wandered far from God. Perhaps you've been avoiding coming to church. Tonight is the night to come before God, ask for forgiveness, to cry out for help from the faithful God. Because... If you cry out to God from the depths of your despair, he will forgive your sins 
And he is also faithful to give you strength to endure your trials. I've asked the team to close with a song that is based entirely off this psalm. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we cry to you from the depths. Stormy waves overwhelm us at times, Lord. And sometimes there seems to be no end in sight. We're in desperate need of your faithful love and your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, if there be any here tonight who might be needing to make things right with you, I pray that they come before you now in repentance. I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I pray that you would bring about reconciliation if there's reconciliation, restitution, restoration, that your name, Father, may be glorified, that people may find hope in your faithful love. All for your glory. Amen.